All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stephanie Bree Show. I am your host. My name is Stephanie Bree, and I have to scold my kitty cat because he is chewing on my dress. Yeah, I heard you. I have a dress that has strings on the front, and there's tassels at the end of the strings. He chewed one of the tassels off because he was playing with the strings. Oh, dear buddy. Hey everybody, how come, uh, how are you doing today? Hope you're having a fun day, fun weekend. It's time for another podcast. Um, it's Saturday, September 10th. One more day till 9-11. Oh dear, 9-11 is coming up quick. Uh, I'll probably be talking about that. I'll probably have to make a video. It's kind of hard not to talk about 9-11 when you're an American. It happens. But let's not get depressed yet. Let's talk about other stuff right now. So let's start off with what have I been streaming? Well, actually, I had a pretty good week this week. My girlfriend and I streamed some sports, uh, as usual, WNBA playoffs. We watched the Chicago um, team. I forgot their name. Lose to the Connecticut team, and I forgot their name as well. I apologize for that. But... The next round of the playoffs, the finals, have begun. So my prediction is Vegas is going to win the finals. They have to win the finals. That's my prediction. I don't know how many games it'll take them to win, but that's my prediction. And then what else have we been streaming this week? Well, we watched some... I've been watching her play <clears throat> Roblox. <coughs> I've been watching a lot of my girlfriend play Roblox. She actually, she plays different Roblox games. She was playing the Doors game and she beat it. She actually beat the Doors game. I was so excited for her. I couldn't believe she actually beat it. She'd been trying so hard. It's a scary game. I'll tell you that right now. It's a horror game. Um... It's a Roblox game, but it's set in a haunted mansion where you open doors and you run around in each room. You try to find the key to the next door. And you try to find items and things. And then as you go, you encounter monsters and ghosts and demons and things. Oh, it's scary. A lot of jump scares in that game. And I've also been streaming a lot of JJ. Me and my girlfriend sat and watched some JJ videos together. She made some observations that I was aware of, but I hadn't noticed because she's Canadian, so she sees things differently about his perspective on things. So I'm a little more informed now. But that's okay. I have to nudge my kitty cat because he's playing with my dress again. He thinks it's okay. Because it's got a string on it. He thinks it's a toy. And now he's laying down on the floor. And I'm stepping on him because he's laying down on the floor and he won't move. Come on, move, move, move. How do I get him to move? Come on, move, move, move. There we go. Holy crap, he didn't want to move. I didn't want to step on him, but he was right in the way. I know he wants to play right now, but he has to understand. I'm doing a podcast... I can't play right now. All right, so what topics do I have for this week? Well, let's see. 
I bought a new He-Man toy, so I'm going to ask the question, are the new He-Man toys any good, and how do they compare to the Retro Play toys, which are also new, but I'm talking about the Netflix toys. Queen Elizabeth II passed away, so I have some thoughts on that. Was the Sega Genesis actually weak? And I'm not just saying compared to the Super Nintendo, I'm saying in general. Was it weak hardware? I'm ready for Halloween, but how long should a holiday season last? Are we getting into the quote-unquote spooky season a little too early? Or we're not getting there early enough? That's a question I want to ask. Remember light gun games? So do I. So I'm going to talk about some light gun games. Is collecting retro computers really a thing? And should it be? I have thoughts on that. Is Stranger Things past its prime? Or is it ripe for a spinoff? We'll talk about that a little bit. Is there another Star Wars trilogy coming? Should there be? And I'm going to give you my thoughts on the WNBA Finals. I know, not a lot of topics today, so let's see if we can make them last. We'll see how, how it goes. But yeah, I might be able to get quite a bit out of a couple of these topics, but we'll see how it goes. If it looks like I'm running out of steam, I might pause the podcast and try to find some more topics. But uh, we'll see. Like I said, we'll see how it goes. I want to try to get to an hour if I can. I haven't made it to an hour in the last two weeks. I like to do an hour and a half if I can, but 45 minutes is the cutoff. As long as I make it to 45 minutes, I'm good. So let's go ahead and get started. Is the Mario movie a good idea? That was my first topic I forgot to read off because I can't see because I don't have the light on in here. There we go. Now I can read. That helps a little bit. All right. Is the Mario movie a good idea? Should they be making another Mario movie? I've been thinking about this a while. I've been thinking about it since I've since I've seen both of the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, and now they're talking about making a Pac-Man movie. And I'm wondering, can they make a good Mario movie? I think it would be possible for them to make a good Mario movie, but I'm I'm worried about how Nintendo will pull it off, considering their track record. And I don't just mean the live-action Mario movie, which let's be honest, it kind of sucks. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It does kind of suck. We enjoyed it. We watched it. You know, we all made fun of it. But it's not a good movie. So, there's that. And then there's the the cartoon. The Super Mario Brothers Super Show and its spinoffs. Super Mario Brothers 3, or the adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 and Super Mario World. Which I don't know what that one was called. <sighs> so yeah, there are some spinoff Mario. So there's already plenty of Mario content out there. But this stuff is like 30 years old. We're talking about late 80s, early 90s here. It's been a while since they've represented in Mario. They've represented Mario on screen outside of a video game. You know. And I was thinking if they're going to go the animated route, should they do a live act? I mean, should they do an, a full length feature length theatrical movie? Are they going to go the animated route anyways? Maybe they should make it into an animated series. There's always the possibility that they do a live action movie first and then try to spin it into an animated series. They used to do that a lot back in the 
back in the 80s, and they still do that to some extent. Not like they did in the 80s, let me tell you that. But they still do it from time to time. So it's possible they could. My cat came back. All right, I'm gonna take my shoes off so I won't step on him. That way, if he wants to hang out, he can hang out and be a part of the show. So I'm stepping on my cat right now, just so you all know. He's hollering at me, but he is in the way. He's a, he's a cutie pie. He's a cutie pie. All right, getting back to the topic at hand. Here's the problem I have with them making a live action Super Mario Brothers movie. It's going to draw attention to the previous film, and it's going to draw comparisons to the previous film. So what this is gonna do is, one, it's gonna to bring to light the previous film, so people are gonna be talking about it again, which means there's gonna be an increased demand for it, which I think is good. This, this is the good thing that they're going to be doing, that we're going to be seeing. But it's also gonna draw unfair comparisons where people are gonna say things like, this, the new movie, is how you make a Super Mario Brothers movie. Or they'll say things like, that atrocity should have never happened. Or they'll make fun of the people that were involved. Or whatever. Things like that. It's going to happen. We're going to hear it. We're going to have to put up with it. But I think overall, I think, and even, even negative comparisons to the original film are still good. Because it gets people talking about the original film. And they can talk about it in the light of cultural context of the 90s, you know? It was a different time. Although the movie was definitely, we'll say, problematic in a lot of ways. What movie made in the last 35 years plus isn't problematic in some way. Unfortunately, that is the society we live in. Every time we make progress in one area, we regress in another. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and put my rubber stamp on it. I'm gonna give my I'm gonna give it my thumbs up. I'm excited for this new Super Mario Brothers movie. I think it is a good idea. I can only see good things happening. I can't see any negative coming from this. Hopefully, if it is an animated film, hopefully it's good enough that it can spawn a series, either a series of live action movies and get some sequels, or a television series, and that would be great. I would love to see that. Maybe a Netflix series, an exclusive Netflix deal. They should be, Nintendo should be talking to Netflix anyways. But in the meantime, let's just see what comes of this Super Mario Brothers movie. As far as the rumors of who's going to be voicing Mario, we, look, we all know that the voice acting is going to be Hollywood voice. It's going to be a Hollywood picture. It's not going to be your traditional Mario voice. So you're gonna have to accept that that's not, he's not gonna do the voice. He's not gonna do the Charles Martinet voice. We can all assume that. So we have to brace ourselves for whatever voice he ends up doing. I'm betting that they go gruff Italian like what they did, Brooklyn you know, accent like they did in the original cartoon. Something like that. We could end up with a person doing a British accent, do, with a British accent, doing a Brooklyn accent, like we got with the original Super Mario Brothers movie. That was atrocious. Let me tell you that right now. All right, I got nothing else to say about this other than I'm giving it my rubber stamp. Yep, I want to see this movie. I can't wait. I'm excited.
I'm officially excited. I want to see the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Hey, I like the original one. And I love the cartoon. Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Super Mario Brothers 3 is my favorite of all of the cartoons, but I liked all of them. I even watched Super Mario World. Yeah, it's good too. All right. Are the new He-Man toys any good? And how do they compare to the retro play? Okay, so for this, I have in my hand Evil Lynn from the Netflix series. So I'm comparing the Netflix toys, Revelations, Masters of the Universe Revelations. I'm comparing those toys to the Retro Play toys. Now the Retro Play toys look like original Masters of the Universe toys, but they have modern articulation. This is a modern toy, but it's doesn't necessarily have modern articulation. I'll tell you that right now. It's not very articulated. It's not a very articulate toy. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. It's got a good aesthetic. And as far as an action figure goes, it looks cool. It's got a pretty cool pose, but I'm having trouble getting the arm to bend. That is annoying. The arm does not bend. So that limits what you can do with it. It limits its posability. It's got a lot of hard rubber on it. Very rubbery toy. The original toys were very rubbery. I'm not going to go so far as to say it's just a brick, but let me put my phone down for just a second. The arms move up and down. They swivel. There's no articulation at the elbow or wrists. It turns its head. Nope, it doesn't even. Yeah, it turns its head. You can turn at the waist, and then it bends at the the legs bend, but the knees do not bend, and the ankles do not bend. So you got very limited articulation here. It does hold the staff okay, but you can't bend the wrist, so it's kind of like you can't put the staff on the ground and get the imposing that commanding pose you can't get the commanding pose you can have a waving the waving the staff like a wand pose which is all you can get now granted this is just one figure evil Lynn. so i'm not going to judge the entire toy line based off of one figure but i am going to say i've had plenty of action figures that were with had this limited articulation and i still had fun with them so it's still a good toy and the original Masters of the Universe toys had just as limited articulation, and in fact were even more limited in some ways. Uh, so it's at least as articulate as the original toys, although it doesn't have the articulation of the retro play toys, which was the question I was asking. So are they any good? Yeah, they're good. This is a good toy. This is a solid action figure. I have no problem with this action figure. This is a solid toy. What about... How do they compare to the retro play toys? Well, not as good in the articulation, I'll say that. But at least as good articulation as the actual classic Masters of the Universe toys, the retro toys, the actual old school toys from the 80s. So I'll say comparable, good enough. I'm going to say it's good enough. This is a pretty solid action figure. The cartoon is pretty solid. It's pretty solid action series. And these are pretty solid toys. So 
Yeah, I guess I'll say this. I'm kind of rooting for the success of this new Masters of the Universe toy line, this Revelations toy line and animated series. Kind of rooting for it. Hopefully they get another season out of the animation and maybe they can get another wave or two of the toys. That would be pretty cool. Hopefully they don't just stick on reimagining, stick to reimagining toys from the original series. Hopefully they can continue to create original ones. They had some other toys. I bought Evil Lynn just because I wanted Evil Lynn. I thought it would be cool to have, I have the Sorceress, so I thought it would be cool to get Evil Lynn. So now I have the good girl and the bad girl. I don't have Tila though. That's okay, I didn't really need Tila. I have a He-Man, I have a Skeletor, I don't need to get all of them. I have a one per, one, I have a one per figure rule. So if I have one Optimus Prime, I don't have two Optimus Primes. If I have one He-Man, I won't have two He-Mans. I make exceptions. Optimus Prime is an exception. Bumblebee is an exception. Most of the Transformers have exceptions, but I still try to stick to one per rule. So this is my Evil Lynn fight. Figure. And as, as far as Evil Lynn figures go, this is a perfectly good Evil Lynn figure. She's got the big giant bat ears. That's kind of interesting. It's a cool looking figure. It's definitely a cool looking figure. I opened it up just for this podcast. I literally opened it up as we were talking about it. So I'm going to give it my thumbs up. Yep. I like this toy line. This is a good action figure toy line. And it's got a rock solid media presence behind it to help advertise it so I'd say this is a pretty solid franchise hopefully it sticks around for a little bit all right I wrote down the Queen of England passed away and I want to I want to share my thoughts on it now I've already done a video talking about the problems with colonialism and the wealth the excessive wealth of the royal family so I don't want to talk about that and I don't want to spend all this time getting political because I already did a video on how I'm opposed to the monarchy in general. But I do want to talk about my feelings about the queen passing away. I'm an American, so I don't revere the royal family the same way that a British monarch would or a, su a, a, a royal subject would. But I do recognize the fairy tale aspect of it. You know, there's still that whole queen, you know, queen and princess and king and king, queen castle and prince and everything else. And it's still, you know, there's still the fairy tale aspect of it, which it's like kind of does clash with reality, but there's still, you know, the, the notion that kings and queens are something from the past. There is a mythology there. And to that end, I was sad the queen passed away. She was a figurehead in my life. She was a she was a celebrity in my in in my lifetime. She was one of she was a figurehead. She was a central figure in pop culture. She's not just you know a monarch. She was a figure of pop culture. She's a celebrity. She's a representative of the people, not an accurate representative of the people, but she, you know, she is a person. She was a human being. She was alive. Not anymore. She's dead now. So I'm not going to rain on the parade to those people who are out there celebrating her passing away. But I'm also not going to join in on those celebrations. Instead, I'm going to say 
for some people, it's a somber time. And I'm not going to raid on their, on their parade and the, those who are mourning. I'm not going to crap on them either, those who are mourning. I'm going to take a neutral stance. I'm indifferent. I don't care. I wasn't bothered by the queen dying because I don't respect the monarchy. But at the same time, I do respect the institution. And as, as I'll respect the institution, the queen has passed away. And now England has a king. For the first time in my life, there's a king of England. And as an American, that terrifies me more than anything. That much I can say. That much I can say. Was the Sega Genesis a weak console? Let's change the subject. So everybody always talks about how the Sega Genesis was weak compared to the Super Nintendo. Now, technically, it's not. They're, they're equally powered. But there's the perception that it's weak in comparison because people say, well, the Super Nintendo had more time to come out, so they were able to make a better system. That's not necessarily true. The hardware was figured out ahead of time. But let's just focus on the actual reality. But let's put that all aside for a second and let's just ask the question. Was the Sega Genesis a weak system in comparison, not just to its other systems on the market, but just in general? N no, not even a little bit. It was actually a super powerful system when it first came out. It was more powerful than its direct competitor, which was the TurboGrafx-16 or PC Engine in Japan. It was more powerful than indirect competitors, including most computers of the time. Maybe not as powerful as like a high-end Amiga or a high-end ST, but it was more powerful than the base Amiga, which is why we saw a lot of Amiga ports on the Sega Genesis. A lot of games that started out on the Amiga were ported to the Genesis because they had comparable technology and comparable specs. So to that end, it was like the Sega Genesis was a high-end gaming computer. It was definitely a powerful system when it first launched. So I want to put to rest this notion that the Genesis was a weak system. It was not a weak system. It was a powerful system. It was a powerhouse. And I want you to get that in your head, and I want it to stick there. The Sega Genesis was a powerful system. It was supplanted by more powerful systems as time went on, because that happens to all systems. But the Super Nintendo was not a more powerful system than the Sega Genesis. The Genesis is faster. The Genesis has more sprite capabilities. It has better graphics capabilities. The only weak areas it has weakness in is it has a couple of fewer sound channels and considerably fewer colors. So the Super Nintendo is a more colorful system. Congratulations. Colors don't represent power. In terms of raw horsepower, the Genesis was equally powered to the Super Nintendo and in some ways more powerful, especially whereas it was a faster processor, which is a measure of computing power. I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest because I'm so sick and tired of people talking about the Genesis in the past tense like it was this weak system, like it was inferior to everything on the market. It was just the little engine that could. That's how people treat it. Like, oh, it was this weak system, but it sold well, really well because of Sega's marketing. No, it was a powerful system and it had, it had good marketing. It sold well because it was a fantastic system and I'm not just saying that because I had a Sega Genesis because I also had a Super Nintendo people accuse me of being a fangirl because they're like well you just had a Genesis so that's why you're you're wrapped up in nostalgia I also had a Super Nintendo and an NES I wasn't just wrapped up in nostalgia if anything I was wrapped up in Nintendo nostalgia 
because I had Mario and Zelda on two different systems. No, the Sega Genesis, to me, it broke through the nostalgia, which proves to me that proves it's a, it's, a, it's a superior system in a lot of ways, or at least it's a worthy system of discussion. God, I miss the Genesis. If I had the money to go out and buy a game console right now, I would buy a Sega Genesis. And I would just load up on Sega Genesis games. I loved the Sega Genesis. I miss my Sega Genesis. It's the one game console I miss the most. All right, moving on. I'm ready for Halloween, and I love what they call the spooky season. Fall is spooky season. I'm a witch, so I love it when the witching season is at the forefront of our minds. Especially with Maybone coming up. I'm going to celebrate Maybone because I do. I'm a witch. I'm a pagan. I celebrate Maybone. It is a witch holiday. Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, also known as Samhain, is an actual holiday for me. So I celebrate it as a holiday. And so I love the spooky season. But here's the question I have. Are we starting it too soon? Or what is the cutoff point? When should we start celebrating a, a holiday coming up? Because the holiday seasons kick off with Halloween. Once we get past Halloween, then we move on to Thanksgiving. Once we get past Thanksgiving, we move on to the Christmas family of holidays which would be Yuletide and Kwanzaa and uh, Hanukkah and other holidays of that, other holiday traditions. So we're moving into the holiday period. I've heard people say that you can start celebrating Christmas after Thanksgiving. You wait till after Thanksgiving to start celebrating Christmas. I've heard other people say you can start celebrating Christmas throughout the whole month of, of October, or excuse me, November. Why did I say October? What about Halloween? When does it officially start? When can you officially start celebrating Halloween? Well, I don't think September is the start of spooky season. I think September is the end of summer, and for some people it's the start of fall. Although the official last day of summer, first day of fall is Maybone, which is, again, a holiday for me so it's important to get it right so I heard somebody say Labor Day is the start of the spooky season once we get past Labor Day we can call it spooky season again I'm gonna go back to as a pagan because this does offend me because it is my religion as a pagan I think the spooky season officially starts with Maybone and if you don't celebrate Maybone which is the equinox it's the it's the fall equinox. That's what Maybone is. You don't have to celebrate the holiday, but at least respect the equinox for what it is. That's the whole point of paganism. We respect the equinox. We respect the solstices as well. And the midpoints. Samhain is a midpoint between the equinox and the solstice. And that's why we recognize it. It's a midpoint. So we recognize the wheel of the year. If you don't know what Wheel of the Year is, you can Google it. I'm not going to explain it. Maybe I'll explain it. So we have, you have the four equinoxes and four, or you have two equinoxes and two solstices. So that's the four um, 
vernal seasons. And then you have the four midpoints in between the, the, equinox and the, the equinox and the solstice. So we have two solstices. You have a spring, you have a spring equinox and you have a fall equinox. And then you have a winter solstice and you have a summer solstice. Now you learn some of this in astronomy class and some people and they're like, okay, this is an astronomy lesson. No, this is, a this is a lesson in paganism. This is religion 101 because I'm a pagan. This is what I believe. This is what I follow. So, Maybone is what we call the, the fall equinox. It's a holiday that is representative of certain deities and we have certain traditions that go along with it and you recognize those deities. Now last year on Maybone I dedicated my heart to the goddess Brigid. I had a long-standing relationship with her for a while and then we broke up this past summer. I have contemplated whether or not I want to mend that relationship or if I want to seek a different deity or if I want to Stick with just worshiping the Christian God because I do also attend a pagan, or not a pagan, but an Anglican church, which is Christian paganism. Mm -hmm. I do attend a, uh, an Anglican church, so I am Anglican in a way, which, you know, as an Anglican, or as someone who attends an Anglican church, I should say, I should mourn the Queen, of, going back to the Queen of England, I should mourn the Queen of England because she's a figurehead in the church. I completely forgot about that. But officially I'm a pagan, so as a pagan, I'm indifferent to the monarchy in terms of my religious beliefs go. The spooky season starts at the equinox, September 21st. That's when it is officially okay to celebrate the spooky season because that's when we are officially in what you would classify as the equinox season. For pagans, that is what this whole celebration is about. If you're going to co-opt our holidays and you're going to steal our celebrations, at the very least you can do so in a respectful manner. It isn't all commercial for us. So don't make it all commercial for you. If you're just going to represent recognize Halloween. When is it okay to celebrate Halloween? Halloween's October 31st. It's okay to celebrate Halloween on October 31st, which is also Samhain. If you want to celebrate Samhain, go for it. More power to you. Have a feast of the dead. I would love to see more people celebrate Samhain like a true pagan. Go Light a candle, do a ritual, do a spell, do something. Be as spooky as you want to be, but at least wait until the equinox to start calling it the spooky season. And I'm saying this as a full-time witch. I'm a witch year-round, and I can't wait for the spooky season to start. And I still think it shouldn't start until the fall equinox. And that's just because of my religious views. Let's be respectful. There's... There's a whole class of people who have been subjugated by Christians, subjugated by the English colonialists who were forced into giving up their traditions and we are holding on to them as best as we can. The least you can do is respect that and honor that. We're talking about native Irish traditions here. That's right, Irish paganism, that is what I follow. 
There you go. Now you know. There is an Irish pagan school as well that I follow on YouTube. I watch their content. All right. Moving on. Do you remember playing light gun video games? I know I do. But why am I talking about light gun games? Didn't just a couple weeks ago I say how video, how guns are bad and I wish that we would get rid of toy guns? Well, yeah, but we can still remember light guns. How did light guns work? Well, I'm not gonna get into the scientific technology aspect of it. You point the gun at the TV, there's a flash of light, you pull the trigger and it shoots the light and the computer recognizes the input. It's as simple as that. I don't want to get into any more complicated than that, talking about phosphorus lights, light beams, and all that other stuff. All that matters is light guns work, and they don't work anymore because they don't work on modern TVs. So what are some of the best light gun games? What are some of my light gun memories? Well, obviously, there's Duck Hunt. Everybody remembers Duck Hunt. I remember more arcade light gun games than I do remember home console arcade um, light gun games. There was Hogan's Alley and there were other games like that, but I didn't play those too much. I never had any of them. On my Nintendo, on my Nintendo Entertainment System, I have one light gun game, Duck Hunt, and it came with play shooting, but it was Duck Hunt, Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. So that was the my exposure to light guns, my introduction to light guns. In the arcade, there were a ton of games. There was one of my favorite games, which was Area 51. I used to play the crap out of that game. There was a Jurassic Park game that they had at the casino that I used to go to. I used to go up to the arcade at the casino where my mom worked. When I was a kid, my mom worked for a casino. So I would go to the arcade, and I would play games. And they had this Jurassic Park light gun game. It was a lot of fun. I would dump quarters into that. I would dump quarters into that machine all the time, all day long. Just give me more quarters. Then there was, I already mentioned Area 51, but there was also another one that I would found at a local arcade, the Terminator. The Terminator was a pretty fun game. It had a machine gun that was attached to the joystick and you would just point it at the, at the screen and just shoot everything. It used a cursor, it wasn't actually technically a light gun game, but it counts. And then there was a game called Lethal Enforcers. Now this is one I played in the arcade, but I also had it on the Sega CD. I had both Lethal Enforcers and Lethal Enforcers 2 Gunfighters on the Sega CD. Now my Gunfighter CD never worked. I couldn't get it to play, but my Lethal Enforcer CD, it did work. So I was able to play because I have to buy used games. I mean, you're buying used CD games. You run the risk of the game not working because of smudges or scratches or whatever. Unfortunately, that was the case for my copy. But I was able to play Mad Dog McCree, which was also a light gun game on the Sega CD. Use the same light gun, the Justifier. And then there was the Super Scope 6 for the Super Nintendo and the Minister for the Sega Genesis. Now, I did not have either of these guns, but they did exist. I remember the Super Scope especially was used as a prop in the Super Mario Brothers movie we talked about earlier today. 
I do remember seeing commercials for both of those guns, but I never met anyone in person who had either gun either. I always thought it would have been so cool to have a super scope. The Menacer, probably not as much. I, I, I felt like the Menacer was just a generic light gun. No big deal. It was like the Zapper, but fancier. But the Super Scope, that was like its own thing. What are some other light gun games? Well, there was House of the Dead. I actually beat House of the Dead. That game was a lot of fun. That took some quarters. There's also um, Carnival, which was another one I played a lot of. I preferred House of the Dead over Carnival, but I'll play Carnival if I have nothing else to play. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. Those are the light gun games I remember playing. Let me know what light gun games you remember playing down in the comments below. Alright, is collecting retro computers really a thing and or should it be? So where did this come from? Okay, so I watched some YouTube videos and I, I watched Lazy Game Reviews and I understand that there are people out there who collect retro computers. There are weirdos like that. Well, I shouldn't call them a weirdo, but there are people who are dedicated to computers that have big computer collections. But my question was, is retro PC collecting a thing? Like, There are people out there who collect retro game consoles. Are there also people that collect retro PCs? And I don't just mean like the Commodores and the ZX Spectrums and the ones that are like that are basically game consoles that you pretend is a computer. I'm talking about de I'm talking about dedicated computers. See, PC gaming as a thing has always been a thing because backwards compatibility. I can play original DOS games that were made for um, made in 1985 on my 2022 Windows laptop, Windows 11 laptop, and they're still compatible. Sometimes it requires the use of emulation, DOSBox, or sometimes it requires the use of it requires the use of patches. But for the most part, with very little work, you can get those old games to work. It doesn't require a ton of effort if you know what you're doing. Now, we're not going to talk about emulation again, because once you're on a PC, emulation is obviously it's its own thing. But I'm talking about people who buy old computers to play old games. Is that a thing? And like I said, the question is, should it be? So for example, you buy an old Windows 3.1 DOS, whatever, version of DOS. 386 computer with a VGA monitor and you get a sound blaster sound card and you hook it up and you play old computer games on it that are compatible. Is, are there people that do that? Or do they just play old games on modern on like whatever their modern setup is? So the reason why I'm thinking about this isn't just because of LGR because I recognize him. He's kind of a fluke. He's, he's, he's a thing. But are there other people like him? Now, I feel like there, there might be, but is it the norm or is it more normal for PC gamers to just use good old games to get their retro fix? I feel like I get my retro fix through good old games. I don't, 
have the desire to go out and build an old 386 computer with a sound blaster and a VGA monitor, the CD-ROM, a couple megabytes of RAM, a three and a three quarter inch floppy disk. You know, I don't feel like it's necessary for me to go out and do that. If I want to play Doom, I'll just play Doom. Now, I've heard of collecting old PC games, like big box game collecting. That is definitely a thing. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about collecting PC games or retro PC games. But I'm talking about collecting retro PCs, like old Windows, DOS, Macintosh computers. Not just talking about, I know there are people who collect Amiga, and there are people who collect for the Commodore and the ZX Spectrum and the Atari family of computers, but like I said, those computers seem more like game consoles than computers to some people, especially even myself, and I had an 8-bit Atari computer and a Commodore 64 growing up. I had a Commodore 128 growing up. It still felt more like a game console than a, than a home computer. So really, I'm saying I don't know. And I'm saying I don't know if it should be. And I'm going to leave it at that. I really don't know. You know? Is it better to play, is it better to get your retro games through good old games or through DOSBox and emulation? I know if I'm going to play old Commodore computers, Commodore computer games, I would rather play them on an actual physical Commodore hardware. But that's because Commodore emulation is a nightmare. Even for somebody who's tech savvy like myself, it's complicated and difficult. And that a lot of that has to do with the fact that the key, Commodore used a different keyboard than what Windows uses. So it, it's, it's hard to look up the keys. They're not directly transferable. So I think, yeah, there's probably some. There's probably some of that out there, but I think it's probably better to collect, to get your retro gaming fix through emulation, especially for PC stuff. You have Steam, you have good old games, you've got Origin, you've got other options. I just really can't see... And here's the reason why I can't see justifying going out there and setting up an old school computer because we're talking about global warming here. You're talking about the plastic, you're talking about the components, the parts. That stuff's already happened, but you're talking about recycling this stuff, right? Talking about running the electricity, the electricity necessary to run these old computers. That's, you know, modern computers are far more energy efficient and far more powerful with less electricity usage so way more efficient so I think it's probably better that we leave those old computers in the past yeah I think it's probably better that we leave the old computers in the past is Stranger Things past its prime or is it really ripe for a spinoff? Now, I'm asking this question because they're actually making a spinoff and there's one more season of Stranger Things coming. I liked season three of Stranger Things.
I liked season four of Stranger Things. I liked one and two seasons of Stranger Things. But I felt like season four dragged a little bit and it felt like they could have wrapped it up. They could have given it a, a satisfying conclusion. Where do they go with season five is like, now they're just gonna drag it out. And it does feel like they're dragging it out. I mean, they have to milk it for all it's worth. So I don't really blame them for that. And, you know, I don't think I'm opposed to seeing another season of those kids. You know, they're adults now. They're not kids anymore. So we're going to see them all grown up now. Because time marches on. And I think that's part of the problem with Stranger Things. I would have liked it better if they would have, if they could have found a way to produce those seasons back to back obviously the pandemic got in the way but it would have been better to produce those seasons while they still were kids now we have them practically adults still playing teenagers all right it's it's it is what it is but is the show past its prime that's the question i want to ask or is it right for a spinoff i think well as successful and popular season four was I don't think you could argue it's past its prime. I think it's probably in its prime right now. So to, in that respects, yeah, it probably is ripe for a spinoff. But let's talk about the lore for a second. Let's get into the lore. What would a spinoff look like? Well, there's a couple of possibilities. One, we could go back and look, take a look at what Russia was doing the whole time that Hawkins was experiencing its weird stuff. Um, so that's one thing we could do. Two, another thing we could do is you could you could come up with another town that's like Hawkins that doesn't have that doesn't necessarily have like a big company like what they have in Hawkins, like the Hawkins lab, but maybe there's some other doorway to the upside down. There's room, there's potential there. I mean, is the upside down, does it only exist in Hawking's or can it exist elsewhere in the world? That's a question that they could answer. How big is the upside down? Is it the whole world or is it just the area around Hawking's? That's a question they could answer. Yeah, I think there's plenty of potential there. They could do like a like an Erie, Indiana type spinoff show or something more along the lines of, um, what's that one everybody likes? I can't think of the name of it right now. Not the X-Files, but that one everybody likes. Oh well, I can't think of it. Not Black Mirror, but anyways. The one Black Mirror reminds everybody of. Anyways, I can't think of it right now, but they could do a show like that. Or heck, they could even do a show like Black Mirror if they wanted. I mean, well, Netflix did do Black Mirror, so obviously they could do a show like that. I think Black Netflix was, I think Black Mirror was Netflix. Maybe I'm mistaken. It's on Netflix. Hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> Oh well, 
anyways, there's 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 potential there. I think there's stuff they can do. You could also just do more stuff with just any any individual. You know, you could have like one of the kids. You could have Dustin go off on his own adventures. He, him, and um, uh, the one that works at the uh, video store. I forgot his name. He worked at the ice cream shop last season. Those two could go off on adventures together, on their own adventures together. There's room for that. What the hell is that guy's name? Steve. Steve. Steve Harrington. That's his name. Yeah, Dustin and Steve. They could they could you could do a spin-off series just those two getting into misadventures. It doesn't even have to be a horror series. It could just be them exploring pop culture. It could be like Beavis and Butthead, only like actually good. Not like Beavis and Butthead, but just two high school friends goofing off, you know? Kind of like um, Chris and the Stoner on uh, that McFarlane show. What's it called? Family Guy? The Stoner that always talks about movies? And Chris, the main character that Seth Green plays? Yeah, like that. Just like two buddies going on little misadventures. They could do that. That could be a fun spinoff. They could give Hopper his own series, you know? The Hawking's Police Files or something like that. It's hard to say what they're going to do. I'm just coming up with ideas. I'm not saying I'm coming up with good ideas. All right. All right, moving on from Stranger Things, let's talk about Star Wars for a minute. There's lots of Star Wars content coming out, so there's no shortage of Star Wars content. We've got lots of spinoffs, we've got lots of cartoons, we've got lots of toys, lots of video games. But my question is this, is there room in books, comic books, and video games, and every, TV shows and everything, is there actually room in the Star Wars franchise for another trilogy? And it doesn't necessarily have to be said in the so-called Skywalker saga. We've Disney has said they put that to rest. Yeah, they keep making content set inside that timeline. But they've, they've also done some video games outside the timeline and some books outside the timeline. So it's possible. So that's what my question is. What would a future, what would a new Star Wars saga look like if they made a trilogy? Would it be set in the past? Would it be a Knights of the Old Republic trilogy? Would it be set in the future when they bring the Yuzan Vaughn in? And would you get, finally get to see that, you know, post-Imperial War that we saw in the New Jedi Order books? I don't know. What would it look like? Could it be set in a far distant future? Almost, almost catch up to Star Trek if they wanted to in the timeline. Because remember, it is set in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Well, they don't have to stay a long time ago. They could catch up. They could do a, they could do a, a trilogy that follows the Outbound Flight Project if they ever bring that back into canon. It's hard to say what is and isn't canon anymore. hard to say so yeah I don't know what would a Star Wars trilogy look like if it had no connection to the Skywalker family at all what would that look like I'm I think there's potential there 
I think that gives them a clean slate. They can do whatever they want, and that takes away a lot of the stress and a lot of the burden. They don't have to worry so much about fans saying, oh, I don't like what you did with Luke. He would never do that. That's not Luke's character. That kills his story arc. No, people wouldn't crap all over it like they did The Last Jedi because Luke was doing what Luke would have done. Right? You say, well, that's not Luke. Well, Luke is an old old man Luke is not the same as young idealistic boy Luke. You have to remember, he probably he went through that and realized that it, he lost. It, you know, it was a losing battle. He ended up winning his father, but he still lost his father at the same time. He probably didn't want to lose his nephew. So he didn't want to go through that again. He didn't want to unleash another Sith on the universe and have to go through that. I don't know. Whatever. We need to get off of The Last Jedi. We need to have a Skywalker-free Star Wars trilogy that isn't burdened by the past. I think either going way in the future is the way to go. I'm talking 100 years or more in the future so that like the whole Sith Empire war, the rebellion against the Empire and the Sith and the Jedi are all just like legends at this point. They're long-forgotten legends, and there is no Force, and maybe that's what you know starts it all. It could be another Force Awakens type scenario where here's somebody learning how to use the Force. I know we've already done that to death, and I don't think they're going to do the Yuuzhan Vaughn thing in the New Jedi Order. They might. I don't know what they're doing in the books because I don't read any of the books. I read all the books. And then they swept them under the rug and said they don't exist and they wrote new books. I'm not reading the new books. They shouldn't have done that to me. That's too much for my heart to handle. I have two competing timelines that coexist mutually that I have to reconcile. And I'm done. I don't want to go any further than that. That's why I don't watch The Mandalorian or, you know, the... The other one, The Book of Boba Fett, I don't watch those ones because they're erasing the history that I'm already familiar with. Alright, that's enough of that. Well, my last topic I have on the sheet is the WNBA Finals. Well, the Finals haven't actually officially begun yet. Well, by the time you have heard this recording, Game 1 of the Finals will probably have been played. But I haven't like looked it up yet to see how it went. And I haven't watched the replay yet, so I don't know how the game took place. But I'll go ahead and repeat my earlier prediction. I'm predicting that Las Vegas is going to win this finals. They're going up against Connecticut. Which I think it's strange that Connecticut even has a WNBA team of all sports. That's kind of interesting. Of all the cities... Yeah, anyways, I don't have anything else to say. I guess that's my show. There you go. We just barely made it to an hour. Um, I guess I could I could wrap it up with the usual. Don't forget to follow me online. You can find me at Stephanie Bree twenty two Stephanie Bree twenty two, all one word, B R I. That's S T E P H A N I E B R I two two. Stephanie Bree twenty two. That's Instagram, that's Facebook, 
that's Twitter, that's even my Cash App if you want to throw me some money. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Stephanie Breen. You can throw me money that way too. That's always a big help. I have plenty of Patreon supporters and I have room for more. You could always give, you could always give and help out. Help me produce this content. Help me survive. I give bonus content on the Patreon page. That's all I have for today. Stay cool.